0: So I want to talk about miracles today, if you haven't figured that out. Um, but I want to recognize that we're, we're all kind of on different pages in, in right, the, the miracle book. I'm always surprised that people can, oh, oh you know what, children, you're dismissed. <laughs> he just reminded me of that 18 seconds ago. Uh, children, you're dismissed, and also um, uh, the bridge, uh, junior hires, you're dismissed also. Um, sh- goodbye, you're, you're sprung. Um, But but anyway, I recognize that that, that so many people who read this Bible, this this book, they arrive at just all sorts of different conclusions. I mean, on on everything, um, it seems. um, We land on a few essentials. I love the Nazarene Church. We have unity in essentials, but there are so many things that people don't agree on, and and the Nazarene Church says, hey, you have freedom in those non-essentials. Right? And in charity, everything. We love no matter where people are falling with the mask or the vaccine or the, the Black Lives Matter blue. I mean, you just go on and on and on and on and on. We are Nazarenes. We have charity and all that read this book and just come to different conclusions. It just, and I really believe that the biggest miracle in this season might not be COVID 19 being eradicated, it just might be the hearts of Christians who have gotten very, very dark. I mean as I see postings online, I just think, ah, I thought they loved Jesus. (laughs) Apparently they hate everyone. I you know, I just I can't help but come to these crazy conclusions when I see this world and I and I can't help but wonder if if maybe the miracle that God wants to do in our midst is is right here, right in our in our hearts, and and how we treat the neighbor that disagrees with everything that we believe to be true. Could God do such a miracle? So people are all on different pages, kind of just a little bit of background. There's kind of three camps in the Christian world um, uh, who believe in miracles. There's what, what's called the cessationists. They, uh, many people believe that with the close of the New Testament era and Jesus and the apostles that, that miracles um, aren't the thing that we can call on all the time, that we can be about doing. It's not that they disagree that miracles still happen, but they they kind of lean toward the bulk of the, the, the really powerful, the crazy miracles, walking on water and so forth. That was just for the New Testament era. And then at the other, other end of the extreme, the far end of the extreme, we have Pentecostals, Charismatics. And they, they, they agree on varying different ways about miracles. And, you know, does a miracle constitute a sanctified believer? Is that a sign or is that simply a, a product? And, and there's just all, you know, kind of all over the map. And then there's the middle group, and it's really, I think, the big group, and I, I think it's a, where a lot of us kind of sit. It, it's, we're open to miracles, very open to miracles, absolutely, but, but we're cautious, right? We, we've been burned, there have been hoaxes, and there have been misunderstandings, and there have just been kind of funny ideas, and so we're open, very open, I, I believe in miracles, absolutely, but I, I'm cautious, I, I'm cautious, um, so wherever you stand on the spectrum of belief in miracles, this morning I want to ask you, what, what's your miracle? Not necessarily what, what what's the miracle that you remember in your life—the birth of a, a daughter, a son through difficult circumstances. You know, the fa- fact that you finally found a spouse that would love you because you're weird, and, and you know, and not looking at the miracles in the past. I'm like, what, what are you praying for? What is the miracle that you're praying for in this season? Just kind of want to let that run through your mind. Maybe you're thinking, wow. I'm not praying. For, boy, I haven't prayed in a long time. Whoops. <laughs> um, maybe I should be praying. Um, but those of you who pray regularly, what, I, I just I want to challenge you this morning. What, what is what is the miracle that you're praying for? And and, and again, if you maybe you don't even believe in miracles, so I'll, I'll I'll ask it a little bit different. What is that one thing that you want more than anything else? Whether God delivers it or your spouse or your boss, I I don't know who, who delivers it. But what what do you want more than anything else? And and for believers, what's the miracle? that you're praying for. Um, but before we begin, I want to set some parameters, just, just a couple parameters, because we can really get crazy with this whole miracle thing, because miracles are kind of crazy. The story of the man that drowned, sitting on his rooftop at horrible flood, floodwaters are rising, and he's going to drown. He can't swim. He, he's going under very, very soon, and he's praying, oh God, oh God, save me, save me, oh God, I need a miracle." Right? He, he knows what a miracle is going to be because he knows he's about to die and only a miracle is going to save this poor guy. And he's praying and he feels God saying, okay, got you covered. And I says, oh, praise God, a miracle is going to happen. So immediately the guy rows up in a canoe and says, hey, hey, you know the floodwaters are riding, get, get in my canoe. Well, nope, 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 <laughs> waiting for a miracle. God's going to save me. And guy's like, okay, whatever. There's other people who aren't as blind as you are and pretty soon a, a raft comes up and it's like a lifeguard raft, and they got lifeguard people and they know what they're doing nope, nope nope love you guys love what you do praying for a miracle god's gonna save me he told me god's gonna save me rescue helicopter i mean the whole nine yards and what the guy he drowned. he dies and he meets jesus and jesus says what what's your problem Right, we, we we had an agreement. I, I would save you. You prayed to me, and I agreed. I will save you. And I sent you a canoe and a raft, and I even sent you a helicopter. What what, what is your problem? The man said, I was praying for a miracle. You 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 said you would save me, and I was. I, I. Moral of the story. Moral of the story. Don't let your definition of a miracle be so narrow that you miss it when it happens. Right, a lot of us we we just. The miracle's got to be just so, and, and otherwise we, so much that God is doing in our lives, we just don't see it, because it's not spectacular, it's not fireworks, and so forth. The second story, uh, the story of the praying church and the brothel. Church has an at, uh, a good ministry going, but next door a, a brothel opens up, and, and the pastor begins to pray, and he gets the people to pray that that brothel will burn down, um, it does. <laughs> Lo and behold, it does. It burns down. And the brothel owner found out that the church was praying that his brothel would burn down, so he takes the church to court for damages. And they're all in the in the, in the, the the courthouse, and the judge is listening to their opinions. And the, the judge says, you've heard the charge against you, church. You were praying for this man's chur- uh, brothel to be burned down, and it did. What do you say? And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, we prayed, but that's not why it burned down. That was just circumstances. Come on, come on. Really, judge? And the judge just laughed and he said, well, how about that? A church that doesn't believe in miracles and a brothel owner that does believe in prayer, miracles of prayer. So the moral of the second story is don't let your definition of a miracle be so wide and so common that even believers <laughs> no longer believe in them. Again, so we're going to be all over the map on the miracles, and I'm not going to go really digging into what constitutes a miracle, what's the best definition of a miracle. I I want to challenge us because we do have, and I'm not going to convince you what is or isn't a miracle this morning. Um, You experience God in in your your own different ways, and you call miracles what somebody else might call happenstance or, or every day. But in your life, in your context, it was a miracle, and you give credit to God. And you give glory to God. Works for me. I don't know about you, that, that's a miracle. You know, any time that mankind gives credit to somebody else, that's a miracle. <laughs> in my every time I come here on a Sunday morning and you all, I see you all, I think, there's about 60, 70, 80 miracles here this morning. I, I always wonder that. Why would somebody come to church and listen to some guy talk? And when they could be outside and be doing amazing things in God's incredible earth. And, and I do every Sunday, I think this is a miracle that people are showing up. I, that's just kind of where my head goes. So what I want to do this morning, I want to look at two miracles in Scripture, chapter 5 of John and chapter 9 of John, healing of a crippled man and healing of a blind man. And, and the two stories are kind of chapters apart, you know, one's in 5, one's in 9, um, but they really do need to be read together. They're kind of a, a section of John that he's, he's trying to make a point with these healing stories. Um, and in looking at the two healing stories, these, these miracle stories, the Apostle John is, is making some statements by the, way that, uh, by the way that Jesus does the miracles and, and by the words of Jesus um, that are meant to clear up some misperceptions about sin and judgment and the purpose of miracles in the first place. Um, for example, this is your homework. I'm not going to go into chapter 8. The Jewish people believe that if you had the right parentage, if you were born of the seed of Abraham and you, you were an Israelite, full-blooded, well, psh, you're good to go, right? Sin, judgment, psh, not for you. Man, you, you got it good because you're of the right parentage. And, and Jesus says, no, not necessarily. Your parents might be wonderful people, but you have to believe in me. You and I have to have a relationship, not your parents and I, you and I. And So that, that's chapter 8. Um, And and for us, it's not just that Jesus is going to clear up maybe some misperceptions that you might have about sin and judgment and the purpose of miracles. But kind of over over all of that is this idea that in these stories, I think that we can uh, catch a glimpse of of, of a miracle that I think God would support like 100% every single time. Right? Sometimes you pray for a miracle and you think, I wonder if God really wants this one. I know I do. I want to challenge us to pray for miracles that God's like 100% behind. Like, he loves these kind of miracles. Um, so I'm going to start with chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. There were three big ones each year that every person had to be there for. Now, there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, uh, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. The one who was there had been there, had been an invalid for 38 years, right? So he's not from birth, we assume, unless he's exactly 38 years old. Um, so so we, we, we make the assumption that something happened to him or he did something to, to put him in this position. Something happened in his life that made him an invalid. Um, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, "Do you want to get well?" A lot of your your versions have, "Do you want to be made whole?" And I like that. I think that's closer to what's being said here. And now to understand, there are two ways that this man could answer Jesus. One way is, "Yeah, I want to get well. I want I, I want to walk. I want to walk. I mean, that would be awesome. Whoever you are, that would be crazy awesome." But the other way he could have answered it answered it is, "Do I want to get?" well, not only physically, but but mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And you understand that the, the man knew the distinction here, right? He was a good Jew. He understood his understanding that Jesus was trying to address or correct was that his ailment was a result of his sin, right? His physical condition is connected to his spiritual condition. So he knows the right way to answer Jesus. Yes, make me whole. Not only my legs or whatever has made him... An invalid, but 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 he he doesn't watch, watch the way he responds. It's very surprising, a little bit disheartening. Verse seven, sir, he the the invalid replied, "I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred." There was this idea that when the wind blew and the waters rippled, that was an angel of the Lord, and whoever jumped in the pond first got healed. Right? So apparently, it had happened before. It was an expectation. That's what the guy was waiting for. He wanted his legs to be made whole, if that was the issue. It never really says. Um, so I have no one to help me into the pool and the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone always goes down ahead of me. Right? Someone's always beating me to it. Um, I want you to recognize zero recognition of who Jesus is. He's not asking. He's making no attempt to find out who this guy is who's claiming that he can make me, that he can make me well. In his mind, he can fix whatever ails me. Just a potential friend to get him into the water in time. That's all Jesus represented to him. A means to an end. Verse 8 and 9. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Don't jump in the pool. Right? We're we're, we're just going to bypass that. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to heal you. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. Again, no attempt to find out who this guy was that just healed him and changed his life. No attempt, no attempt that we see in Scripture, and John's doing this on purpose. He's making a point. And he went away, walking, carrying his own load, right into a group of Pharisees. <laughs> his day went. Oh, oh. The day on which he took this place this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, "It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat." I want you to notice, not that you're walking, <laughs> you were once crippled and you're walking, that's amazing. No, what are they, uh, yeah, you broke the law. Do you ever run into Christians that do that, right? Somebody does something amazingly loving and, and instead of condemning them, we said, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that's all good, fine, but what about your language? <laughs> what about the way you're dressed? What about your lifestyle choices, right? Let's, let's focus on that. Stop it. Stop it. If you're one of those people, just stop it. Right? Be amazed. Be amazed at love. Um, again, we're always judging by the externals, just like Doug was saying, rather than what might be transforming inside of a person. They're on a journey. They might not be where we're at, and maybe, thankfully, if you're that judgmental, but they're, they're on a journey. They're on a journey. Uh, you know. Um, Keep reading, verse 11 and 12. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, and I recognize again that, that guy. That, that guy over there. I mean, just, there's no, no attempt to figure out who this guy was that this literally, miraculously changed my life. No attempt. Basically, uh, he fixed my physical ailment. I'm good to go now. Right? I don't have any ailments, so therefore I don't have any sin. I can now carry the load on my own, right? Pick up your mat and walk, he told me. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up and walk? Who is this, this that man? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. John's just kind of really hammering this home for us. Had no idea who he was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Um, again, you miraculously fixed me. My ailment's gone, and now thank you, Goodbye. <laughs> You you gave me everything that I think you're worth. And and I really believe that sometimes in our prayer life, we kind of treat God that way. Like, God, if you would just fix me. I'm not necessarily into worshiping you or attending church or getting to know other Christians, but get me out of this foxhole, right? Fix my problem. Make make me better. But don't be messing with my heart. That's mine. (laughs) I, I choose who to love and who not to love. And again, in this, this passage, there's a sense of both not physically seeing Jesus, but also there's a definite sense, and if you were a Jewish reader of this, you would, you would immediately have immediately seen this. Um, there is a sense of not bothering to know that Jesus is the Son of God who could forgive, his sins, forgive him of his sins and bring light into his dark world. Right? No, 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 no whatsoever. And this is a major theme in John's Gospel as you, as you read through his Gospel. Right? Sin is not so much moral choices... But sin is not believing that the life of God is in Jesus, that real life is in Jesus, that in Jesus we can have real life. And the Jews were always looking for real life, right? They talked about that all the time, life abundantly. And again, while Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, by way of our response to him, we stand condemned. Right? He's not the judge, and he's saying, you're bad, you did this, I saw your language, I heard what you said, I saw the way you dress, I, you know, I, I, none of that. And, and throughout Scripture, we're told that Jesus didn't come to save the world, to, to condemn the world, but to save the world, right? We love John 3.16, but, but we, then we jump to 3.17, the very next verse is, I, I didn't come to condemn, but I, but I came saved, save. And it's like, wait a minute, you didn't come to condemn, he, he didn't. It's how we respond to him, whether we accept him or we don't accept him, we then stand condemned. It wasn't him that pointed it out and said, Hey, you're doing something silly. If anything, he's pointing out saying, If you don't believe in me, you're going to remain, you have decided to remain in darkness because I'm the light of the world. This is your choice. You have condemned yourself, not me. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and he said to him, see, you're, you're, you're all well again, so stop sinning or, or something worse is going to happen to you. Like, you feel the ominous of this? Like, Jesus knows something. He's seen something in the man. Um, again, although the man made no attempt to connect being made whole with anything other than his external circumstances, Jesus reminds him there's a connection. Right? You know this because you're a good Jewish boy. You, you know that there's a connection. This is what you believe, that there's, there's some kind of... It's not that one causes the other, but they play together. Right? Our minds, our body, our soul, and our spirit, they're just together. Being made whole is a package deal, heart, mind, soul, and strength. One affects the other's. Jesus is using the miracle to correct a false view of of sin and physical ailments, namely that physical healing alone would lead to complete healing. But we know as we read the story, right, physical healing alone doesn't lead to complete healing. You can walk, but you've still got some serious issues here or elsewhere. You, You could still be an absolute basket case, but hey, you can walk. John makes a point, keeping the whole exchange as sterile as possible, right? There's no relational language whatsoever. Right? The man made, never made any attempt to see the light that was in Jesus, that would have permanently pulled him out of his darkness, whatever darkness was in his life that Jesus apparently noticed and kind of insinuated that, it. look, if you don't stop and fly right, <laughs> that's the way my dad always told me, um, you're you're going to—they're going to compile. Your, your problems are going to get worse and worse and worse, and you're going to be right back in the same situation. Um, so the man made two wrong assumptions. Number one, that the physical healing would take care of everything. Right? Fix my externals, take away my crazy husband—I can't stand him. Make my kids obey me. Make my boss nicer. You know, make my, my employees do what I tell them to do. Fix all this stuff, and boy, God, you know, pooh, bam, everything's going to be just awesome. Just, just, just awesome. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The second assumption that he makes is that physical healing was the big miracle, right? In fact, in Luke, I'm going to jump to Luke for just a little bit, and then I'm going to come back to chapter 9. We're done with chapter 5 here in John. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus corrects these two really bad assumptions that this guy makes. This is in chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 12. Um, he had sent his disciples, 70, 72 of them, into the towns and, and, and told them to, you know, preach the good news that the gospel, the kingdom of God is near, right? Heaven has come down to earth, right? The u- reuniting process has begun. It's now, but not yet, because it won't be complete until I, I come back from death. And it, you know, too much to say all that. So he says this, I tell you, there will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town that the disciples had gone through and, the, and that had rejected the message. And Jesus had told them, dust, wipe the dust of that town from your feet. That was kind of in the, before this little passage here. Um, And for that town, woe to you, Carazon, Uh, woe to you, Bethsaida, right? That town, again, the town that refuses to believe in the name of Jesus. And again, the disciples and everyone else was still seeing that sin was this moral choice issue. But John was trying to say that Jesus said that, hey, the the sin, the big one, the unforgivable, is that if you ignore my Holy Spirit, if if you ignore my words, if you ignore God, that's that's what's going to sink you, right? Not all this external stuff. Jesus was saying that sin was not believing in his name. And then verse 13, for if the miracles that were performed in you in these towns in the New Testament era had been performed entire Tyre and, and in the Old Testament years and years and years and years ago. They would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes, right? If they had seen what you've seen, Right? They would have repented and believed and experienced eternal life, even though they were really, really rotten people. (laughs) They were really rotten people. But if they had just believed in my name, I could have changed them from the inside out. 14 and 15, but it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be lifted up to the heavens? No, you're going to go down to Hades. Right, if if they had seen the signs and wonders that I had performed in you, that proved that I am who I say I am, and that I alone offer salvation, they would have jumped at it. Right, they would have faced the day of judgment with no fear whatsoever. But you, unbelieving, you're in for some hard times. Right, you're in, you're in deep doo doo. He, he doesn't say that, but. And then picking up in verse 17, the healed man's second poor assumption. Uh, Believing that physical healing was the big miracle, the big deal, Jesus says this. They came back. They're very excited, the 72 um, disciples. The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, like he's, he's like, yes, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm excited with you. I'm, I don't want to rain on your, I'm going to in a minute, but, but I'm, I'm excited for you right now, right? I'm responding to your excitement. And I want to increase your excitement. What he's saying is that the spreading of the good news. What they are doing is finally, finally pushing back the kingdoms of this world, and Satan is going to lose this one. Right? Satan is going to lose because of what you all are doing. Not that you're living moral lives, but that you're going out and telling people that they can have life in my name. That, that's a big difference. That's two different things. I don't know if you recognize that. Two radically different things. And then Jesus warns them of ever believing The physical healings and signs and wonders are the big miracle. are are, are the big deal. He says this, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, however, love this, love this, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the big deal. That's the miracle. The big miracle, the big deal of any miracle is the end result being that someone has seen the light and believed in Jesus' name and now has life in him." Light and life and no condemnation on one hand, right, I'm I'm the light of the world. But on the other hand, darkness and sin and judgment, right, Jesus is saying, choose wisely. Choose wisely. Now let's look at the second healing miracle. Maybe catch a glimpse of a miracle that that God would like to see happen all the time. Starting in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And again, Jesus is going to use this miracle to correct a false teaching about sin and judgment and the purpose of his miracles. Um, Chapter 5, the healing miracle corrected the view that physical healing alone makes you whole. Right? Blew that out of the water. Not true. Now, in chapter 9, he's going to address the false teaching that bad things and physical ailments are the result of sin. Right? One causes the other. And we know this to a certain extent. Right? You make poor decisions, you're going to have poor consequences. Right? But this goes much, much, much deeper. Much deeper than that. In fact, Jesus is going to perform a miracle in the life of a man that the authorities called a sinner, right? He's going he's gonna to nail this point home in case the Pharisees, because they're rather blind, we're going to find out. They choose to be blind, um, as we're going to find. But again, it'll show us that what might be, what might be a better miracle to pray for. It's kind of what I'm driving at with this passage, not to clear up your misperceptions that your problems are caused by your sin, okay? I'm pretty sure we're, well... Who knows? Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now notice, Jesus makes no attempt to explain how the man got the way he was. Right, And if we read this, if we don't read it very carefully, we make God the author of evil. Right, Like somehow that God... 40 years earlier, decided, one day I'm going to send my son around, so I'm going to make this guy a cripple so that the day my son comes around, I can receive glory. That, that's really not the picture that we have here um, at all. And that, that's really an awful conclusion that God would do such a thing to somebody. And I know people will say to other people who are experiencing hardship, well, God had a reason, right? He, there's a reason that your son or your daughter died. There's a, he, he, he wanted to prove something to somebody, and it might not be you because you're a believer, but, but that's why ah, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work for the rest of Scripture, right? What, what we're talking about here kind of matches Romans 8.28, that God will make things good things, that God will redeem bad situations that He never wanted in the first place, that He didn't cause, that He didn't plan or anything. But He says in 8.28 that if you trust me, then I'm going to make this horrible situation, I'm going to make it I'm going to bring something good from it. I'm not going to make it, I can't erase it. I can't make it go away. I can't do that, but I can make something beautiful out of it. Another way you could read this passage, and I think it really works, is this opportunity, this this man gave Jesus the opportunity to give glory to God. Almost as if it were like um, Jesus was talking and he looked around and he said, oh, there's something I can use to explain this. Like it wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't 40 years in the making. And Jesus like, ah, culmination. Now I'm going to tell this guy why he's like he is. Uh, Just that that doesn't work. So in chapter 5, like in chapter 5, Jesus heals this man, this blind man. It's a rather long, long, long chapter. Um, He heals him. Uh, Just like in chapter 5, he gets badgered by the authorities. Just like in chapter 5, you got this long back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Right? The authorities are trying to catch Jesus by way of something that Jesus had did or or by way of somebody that Jesus had healed because they didn't they, they, they have a horrible track record of of attacking Jesus directly so they, they kind of do these end around attack the people that Jesus loves. Right? That, that's a that's a tool of Satan. And and again, because it's a Sabbath, right, they argue, but but this man reacts differently, right? He he sees the light. Watch this. Verse, uh, verse eleven, chapter nine. He replied a- after they had questioned him. This is a little further in the story. Um, they'd ask, "Who, who, 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 who is this?" He replied, "The man they call Jesus." Now, now you notice, he's, the man they they call Jesus. He's not calling him Jesus. He's just doesn't really know him. That man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. And he told me to go to the pool, to Salome, and, and wash. And I went there and I washed. And, and now I can see. Right? But there it is. Again, this is after the first round of questioning by the religious authorities. And again, notice that the man's knowledge of Jesus is beginning to grow. Right? At first, he doesn't even know Jesus. He's sitting there by the pool. Jesus and his disciples walk up. There's no relationship. He didn't show up with the disciples. He's not one of the followers. He's just, he's just, he's just there. But now he acknowledges that they are calling him Jesus. He's... He's thinking things out. But verse 12 makes it very clear that there is no relationship. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. He said, and it's very easy to just jump right past that, but if you were a Jewish reader, you would have connected that question, where? Where is in the Garden of Eden? The question of where are you really wasn't like God didn't know where in the Garden they were. The question was where are you relationally with me? Are you hiding from me the relationship? It's not that you know, you're in a different location necessarily. But is there a Where are you in our relationship? Are you running? So the, a Jewish person would have read this very, very quickly, understood it. And then after some more badgering questions, the, the man expresses even more insight, more light, right? He's, he's getting it. After some questioning, they, they turned around again to the blind man. What do you have to say about him? Um, it was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he, he's a prophet. So he's gone from not knowing Jesus... Do they call him Jesus? I see him as a prophet. Right now it's getting, he's, he's, he's personalizing. He's, he's seeing, he's making sense of who this guy is. He knows his scripture. He knows about the Messiah. It's a little, little relational math. And he's adding things up in his head. And, he, and John's letting us see this. He's letting us see this, this happen right before our very eyes. This, this gradual transformation of a man from darkness to light and life. Again, picking up after another round of question, verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner. The man replies, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Right? You guys are the experts on that. Um, One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. Again, John is letting us see what's going on inside the man. He's letting us inside the man's head. That's what John loves to do. Is in his, you know, he, he shows the miracle of Jesus. Then he, then he shows people working out what that miracle means. And it's not ever just a one-time event in history. It's something that Jesus always does, what God has always been doing, what Jesus and the Holy Spirit will continue to do. An internal transformation. The Old Testament prophets had warned the people. You all have eyes, but you don't see. You have ears, but you don't hear. Meaning simply that you're not responding well. The sound's going in. Your retinas and whatever, they're working, but you're not making sense of it. You're not doing any additional math. You're not doing anything adding things up. It's just in and out, in and out, in and out. This is what the prophets told the people. This is the way you are. You need to obey. And really, we learned before, obeying is responding well. Responding well. You're not responding well. You've heard and you've seen, but you're not responding well. So therefore, you're blind and you're deaf. Right? Makes sense? Ignorance is bliss for these people. Um, Rather than obeying the, the people, The religious authorities are actively choosing poorly, right? And we see this playing out right before our very eyes. But this guy's excited. He's very excited. He's getting more and more excited as he's recognizing, this is the guy. This is the guy. Um, And he begins to intentionally invest in this man that had changed his life, unlike the man in chapter 5 who picked up his load and walked away. I'm good to go. Thank you. Catch you later, maybe. Then he goes on and proves that he wasn't just talking about his physical blindness. Right? The blind man was, was actually seeing things. that Most people don't see. He was seeing spiritual things. Listen to this. 26 and 27. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? You notice eyes and listening. John's really nailing this theme home. right? If you're not hearing and seeing and responding well... You're choosing poorly. You're not responding well. He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. <clears throat> Why? Do you want to hear it again? <laughs> now, he's just, now he's just tweaking them. <laughs> do you want to become one of his disciples too? Um, in the next verse, you know, they, they hurl insults at him and kick him out of the synagogue, which is a pretty, pretty big deal. Um, well, they they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We're the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from, right, actively choosing to remain blind and deaf, right? This is actively, right, ah, I don't see, I don't hear. Uh. Even the poor beggar could see it. The blind man could see it. little irony there. The man answered, now that's remarkable, You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Again, eyes and ears throughout this passage. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind man, a man born blind, excuse me. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Flip that around Because of what this man has done, rest assured, Pharisees, teachers of the law, this man is from God. You're saying that you don't know where he's from? You are being intentionally, you're responding poorly. (laughs) You can't see this. You must be blind yourselves. So again, after they throw him out, him and his family out of the synagogue, which is a very big deal, Jesus, Jesus came to see him. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Well, who is he, sir, the man asked. He knew all about this. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Now, again, are you seeing the difference between the two men healed, right? The previous man, the invalid, seeks only a physical healing and assumes that that's what it's all about, right? That, that's everything, right? The miracle of miracles was being that he could now walk and carry his own load. He doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need Jesus anymore, right? He's not crippled anymore. No need for Jesus. I can do this all by myself, right? Now that Jesus took care of everything that I wanted taken care of in my life, right? All the externals. But the man born blind recognizes that his sight is connected to God, his sight is connected to this guy, right? There's definitely a connection. His sight, that's a miracle. This is a miracle. And again, throughout chapter 9, John shows that the blind man's physical and spiritual blindness is being transformed by a a double desire to see. The man wants to see physically, but he also wants to see the truth. He wants to see that promised Messiah, and now he has a chance. He's very, very excited. 38 and 39, 37 and 38. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and, and he worshiped him. He's transformed from the inside out, right? He goes from they call him Jesus to Jesus, my my Lord. Jesus makes this point crystal clear as the the chapter closes and I finish my message here. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and for those who see will become blind. The greatest miracle is a person who humbles themselves before Jesus and admits that they don't have it all figured out. The the biggest miracle um, is the person who finally understands that life is in Jesus. It's not in the externals. Abundant, true life is in Jesus. Not in behaving perfectly, not in perfect circumstances, and certainly not in a life of lacking trial and sorrows. Right? Jesus said we would have trouble in this world. But if you also have me, and if you live for me, and my purpose is light and life... Come into your life and replace the darkness that this world wants. The blind man knew which miracle to pray for, and he chose wisely. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, not so much, closing out the chapter. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and he asked, What, are we blind too? (laughs) Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Right? You don't see any need for me. You think you've got it all figured out. You believe like that guy in chapter 5. Right? You've compartmentalized life. So two choices, two kinds of miracles to pray for this morning. One, that God would change some person, some situation, some circumstance, some natural law, right? something external to you. Again, the passage that jumped to my mind, uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, Matt has, Mark has it in chapter 8. Um, what good would it be for someone to gain the whole world? And this, for me, fit rather well with this circumstances. Everything would be hunky-dory, but lose your soul in the process. Or what could anybody give in exchange for their soul? See, we can pray for external miracles, and I'm not pray- preaching against that at all. God said, you know, I know what you want, so just talk, let's talk about it. Right? Talk to me. I know what you want. But don't miss the miracle that Jesus must work in your heart for any of these externals, all those externals that he might change, but they're not going to mean anything if, if, if something in here hasn't, hasn't changed. Here's the challenge for today. What's your miracle? That God would change you from the inside out or are you still asking for him to change something external to you? This prayer kind of moves God to remove the obstacles in your life that are keeping you from participating in the race. I love how the women's group, a couple weeks ago, they got everybody out and they went to Soul assisted Living and they brought light and life into that place. They took the church on the road. I love that. I, that, I think, is what I pray for more than anything in this church and in, in, in the church worldwide, right? that, that we would see that, that what goes on in here and the rest of the world, this, this is crucial, crucial. So I want to close. What are you praying for? A miracle that would change them, your boss, your employees, your neighbor? Change it, the circumstance that's got you down, COVID, or change me? I want to encourage you all to pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit, right, that no matter what this world throws at us, and it will not stop throwing garbage at us when COVID-19 ends, okay, y'all recognize that, I hope, the world just, it's just the way of the world, but man, if you got this going on in here, anything that the world throws at you, you can deal with, you could, that's, that's the miracle I want to challenge us all to pray, change our hearts, make my heart whole pure again. Bow your heads, Father, thank you so much for these passages, these these healed men, and how the Apostle John uses them to tell us truths about you. That the externals are important, that they're they are, but there's more important things, there's bigger miracles to happen. And they happen in our hearts when when you chase away the darkness. And then, when you enter our life, we become light of the world because you are. Father, thank you for every person praying a prayer right now. Lord, change my heart. Help me be the change I want to see. Help me to stop complaining about stuff. Help me to stop blaming stuff. Change my heart. Make me a full time participant. an enthusiastic, joy-filled participant in what you're doing in this church and in this community. Father, change my heart. Thank you, Father, for the work that you're doing right now in hearts all around. In your son's name I pray. Amen.